Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. It's time for Word of God. We have a guest speaker today, Ben Pugh. Uh, Ben is part of Eagle's Nest Church. And he is, has the gift of teaching over his life. He's an author. He's written many books. Um, and he's a lecturer as well. And a, just a general great gift to the church. And, and John Farhi suggested that he, he offer up his services to come and bless and equip churches. And I don't know if we're the first, but I'm sure we're one of the first to like get in there. Because don't we love a blessing? <laughs> we're like, we'll have it. We'll have a blessing. So I encourage you this morning to lean in because Ben is going to create for us this moment, this morning, a moment with God. It's an encounter with God this morning. So lean in and we're going to hear the message and we're going to have some ministry time on the back of it. So get in, get engaged because there'll be a call to action at the end and I need you to get ready. Okay, thank you, Ben. Let's give him a big round of applause. Hello. Uh, It's great to be here. You're such a lively church. I'm actually used to preaching to much harder audiences, so I'm looking forward to this. Uh, It's going to be great. Okay, let me just... uh, Okay, I'm going to... I've got a passage uh, which I'm going to base most of today on, but my main theme is revival. Just getting my glasses out. Revival, hallelujah. Uh, it's been a favorite subject of mine for since at least 1990, I think, when I was a very young Christian. Uh, the pastor of the church I was at gave a whole series on the history of revivals, and I was absolutely transfixed. I've been obsessed with, with revival ever since. Although I do have an, a, a kind of a, a love-hate relationship with being in, in that condition where all you can do is hope for a revival. You, you kind of get tired of hoping, don't you? Tired of praying. Um, but I think uh, as we look at today's passage, there'll be uh, some answers uh, for us and definitely some encouragement, I think. Okay. I've just got one of these Bibles that doesn't flop open. Uh, it's a brand new one. Uh, Okay, I'm just going to read Luke 24, starting at uh, verse 36 and finishing at uh, 49. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and here's the key verse I'm getting to. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I'm going to say that again. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Until you are clothed with power from on high. So the first thing I want to say is that a promise is a promise as far as God is concerned. He, we are still living in the age of the promise of the Father. The Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, and that's what Jesus is predicting here. But God has never stopped pouring out his Spirit upon all flesh. And I think that's one of my answers to this problem we have of always living in hope of a revival the Spirit is, is always, is ever and constantly poured out. It's not a case of waiting for some cataclysmic event. The Spirit is eager and wants to fill us, wants to, uh, wants to come. And sometimes the issue is, is, is how good are we at getting ourselves out of the way in order to let God's Spirit move, I think. So this was long foretold, of course, Joel 2.28 I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. It's an absolute promise, and a promise is a promise. A promise is a promise. Um, in the history of revivals, and I'm going to give you a few extracts of uh, eyewitness accounts of revivals, uh, there have been a few revivals that have been preceded by a very strong sense of expectation that something was about to happen, a very strong sense of promise. Um, back in the days of the Hebridean revival, that was actually started with two old ladies who lived in a, a crofting cottage. Uh, one was 84, and she was called Peggy, and the other, I don't know her age, but she was similar, she was called Christine. Peggy was blind, Christine was crippled with arthritis, but they were constantly praying for the island of Lewis in the Hebrides. And uh, they believed that God had gave them this promise that he'll pour water on him who is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. That was their key passage. I'll pour water on him who is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. They began to pray and they saw a vision of the local church filled with young people. Uh, and they saw a man in the pulpit. Uh, they didn't know who it was, a speaker they'd never seen before. And then simultaneously, the wife of the pastor had the same dream, but with the added detail that the man in the pulpit was called Duncan Campbell. And so they sent for Duncan Campbell to come and speak. But sadly, he was already engaged in a, in a, in a speaking uh, tour of the island of Skye. It wasn't going to be available for another year. But Peggy and Christine weren't going to accept that. They began to, they, they got into praying and interceding. And sure enough, uh, this whole tour of Sky got cancelled for some reason. He, he came over straight away, uh, and there he was preaching from the pulpit. And then they held a prayer meeting afterwards, and, and not much happened, to be fair. There, there wasn't much sort of going on. 
but they they kept on uh, they kept on in prayer and they kept on in prayer and then uh, at some point in the early hours of the morning this is what happened god was beginning to move the heavens were opening we were on our faces before god three o'clock in the morning came and god swept in about a dozen men and women lay prostrate on the floor speechless something had happened we knew that the forces of darkness were being driven back and men were going to be delivered we left the cottage at 3 a.m to discover men and women seeking god i walked along a country road this is duncan campbell talking and found three men on their faces crying to god for mercy there was a light in every home no one seemed to think of sleep and then as the revival carried on it spread to all the villages on the island of lewis and it began to spread to the other islands as well but there was one small town in lewis where everyone resisted the revival and the local minister didn't like all this enthusiasm all this sort of this excessive emotion and stuff like that and and so peggy and christine got to praying again uh, and they and they prayed that there would be a breakthrough in that area and so uh, a local farmer opened up his home for people to go there and hold a prayer meeting to intercede for the town for the revival to break out there as well but it was hard going and uh, here's the account of what happened then uh, prayer was hard and about midnight duncan campbell turned to the local blacksmith who had been silent so far and said i feel the time has come when you ought to pray the man prayed for about half an hour and then drew his prayer to a close with a bold challenge. God, do you not know that your honor is at stake? You promised to pour floods on the dry ground and you are not doing it. He paused for a while and then concluded, God, your honor is at stake and I challenge you to keep your covenant engagements. At that moment, Duncan Campbell recalls, the whole granite house shook like a leaf. And whilst one elder thought of an earth tremor, Duncan Campbell reminded, was reminded of Acts 4.31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Uh, so he pronounced the benediction and they, they went outside to find that uh, the whole village was carrying chairs and asking if there was room in the church for them to come. So it's an, it's an amazing thing. You can go there today. In fact, Pearl and I, went on a holiday uh, years back uh, to the island of Lewis, and you can see the, the granite house that shook, it's still there. Um, a, a remarkable event. And, and again, it's about this God, God being true to his promises. That was the challenge. You've got to be faithful, God, to what you've said. If you're going to pour out water on the dry ground, then, then do it. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he spoken and will he, will he not do it? Has he promised and will he not make it good? He most certainly will. We are still in the age of the promise of the Father, that what Jesus said to his disciples then, I send the promise of my Father upon you. That promise is still over us. And note also uh, in, in the Greek where, where he says, I am sending or I send, it's in the futuristic present. Uh, so, in other words, that, that's, that's something the prophets used to use in the Old Testament, is the, the prophetic present. So, he's saying, yeah, I will send it, but I'm saying it in the present. I am sending, and I send, because it's so sure, and it's so imminent, that it's as though it is already happening. Uh, so, 
how much more then for us is this something we can already tap into? We can already feel it. We can already sense the nearness of the Spirit and His outpouring. Okay, the second thing I want you to notice is that the promise is for you. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. And in revivals, God has a habit of sending his spirit upon ordinary, unknown people like you and me. It's a remarkable thing. Take uh, Jeremiah Lamphere, who um, in 1857 was asked to take over a church on Old Dutch North Street, which is, uh, I just love saying that because it's just a nice, uh, a nice quaint sounding name, Old Dutch North Street. And he had been asked to try to revive this church because it was uh, on its last legs. It was facing closure. So he was asked to do what they used to call a visitation campaign uh, and to go around all, this was in the 1800s, uh, visit all the, all, the, all the homes and try and get people to come along to church. But this wasn't going well. So he, he went to prayer and he said, God, what would you have me to do? Again, it's just a, an unknown guy. No one's ever heard of Jeremiah Lamphere, and he's still not known today. But he, he, he set himself to pray and to ask, what would you have me to do? And he concluded that the thing to do was just invite people to a prayer meeting. So he put together this leaflet and invited all the local merchants and all the local uh, businessmen and all the people who worked in New York to come at midday on Wednesday on the 23rd of September, 1857, for a prayer meeting. Pretty bold move to make, really, at a time when spiritual life was at a fairly low ebb, as it often is uh, just before revivals break out. Five minutes went by. He's waiting in this, this room, in this, in this place he's hired as a prayer meeting. 20 minutes, 25, 30. And then at 12.30 p.m., he heard a step on the stairs, and the first person joined him. A few moments later, there was another and another until they numbered six, and the prayer meeting began. On the following Wednesday, the six had increased to 20. On the third week, there were 40 intercessors, and it just carried on. The story is almost unbelievable, the way it just mushroomed from there on. And one of the key moments was that in October, I think it was October the 12th, uh, of that same year, there was what they call the bank panic, uh, which was a massive financial crash all across America. And about, uh, about 5,000 businesses went under uh, over the course of the coming year. And from that moment, that people were absolutely thronging the prayer meetings uh, to the point that prayer meetings were being held all over North America. And in some towns, there was not one person left unconverted. Uh, the, the, the sheer rate of conversions that ensued uh, was astonishing. And then, of course, that's, that's not all, because news of the prayer meeting revival, which by the time you get to late 1858 had really gathered pace, news of that revival reaches another really obscure, unknown young man called James McQuilkin in Ulster. And uh, he decides he's going to start a prayer meeting as well. So he and his three mates, they start a prayer meeting. And before long, they find that they also are tapping into a move of God's spirit. And uh, preachers begin to preach into what's happening. And by the time you get to 
the Easter of 1859, some remarkable things are taking place. And the Ulster Revival became known as the Prostration Revival because that's what it was all about. People would just suddenly come under conviction and in the marketplace they would just kneel down in the mud and uh, just, just overcome with a sense of their own sin, crying out for mercy. Even more remarkably, the revival spread to a school in uh, Coleraine. And uh, one of the boys in this school uh, met Jesus, and he was really affected by his experience. And he, he, he led another boy to, to faith. And before long, things started to, to happen there. Where are my glasses? There they are. A boy came under conviction, so much so that the teachers sent him home with an older boy who had been converted on the previous day. On the way home, they turned into an empty house to pray together. The troubled boy was soon rejoicing and said, I must go back and tell the teacher. With a beaming face, he told him, Oh, sir, I'm so happy I have the Lord Jesus in my heart. The whole class was deeply affected as a result, and boy after boy rose and silently left the room. When the teacher went to investigate, he found them ranged around the playground wall on their knees. Silent prayer soon gave way to loud cries and prayers which carried to the girls' school on the first floor. Immediately, the girls fell on their knees and wept. The commotion carried into the street. Neighbors and passers-by came flocking in. As soon as they crossed the threshold, they all came under the same convicting power. Ministers came to help, men of prayer were summoned, and the day was spent leading young and old to saving faith in Christ. Meals were forgotten, and the work continued until about 11 p.m. that night. It's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. And, yeah, I think I would count myself among someone upon whom the Spirit has come, but I don't deserve it. I'm not anything great. And in fact, uh, my journey to faith was, if anything, slightly bizarre. I, I think basically my th I had a tremendous thirst for God as a, as a child growing up. But I was in a totally non-Christian home. And I had absolutely no idea, not even the first clue, where to find God. I just knew I had this empty space inside me. And uh, I was listening to a lot of psychedelic music from the 60s. And, and it seemed to be one great advert for taking LSD and, and other kind of psychedelic drugs. And that this, this would be the way to find God. I thought all these people from the 60s, they've all found some kind of, they've found the meaning of life. They've found some transcendent world through taking LSD. But of course, I went to a nice school. There weren't any drug dealers there, you know. Um, <laughs> There was this one guy, I thought, surely you're a drug dealer. You look just like the man on the poster, on the Just Say No poster with sort of baggy eyes. But um, no, I think he was just tired. Um, so I, I had no luck. So I had to resort to sort of alternative means, you know, uh, of trying to get some kind of trip. And uh, I tried smoking coffee and tea and roll-ups, but that just sort of gave me the shakes. Um, uh, then I discovered that actually if you eat enough nutmeg, uh, you can get a, a trip off it. So uh, weirdly enough, I actually ate seven whole nutmegs uh, on my way home from sixth form. 
um, out of a brown paper bag. And uh, on my way home on, on the bus, I, I began to experience this weird symptom. It wasn't a trip. It was this tachycardia. My heart was racing. I started, it was a very, very bizarre sort of symptom. And the upshot of it was I, I was admitted to hospital overnight, probably the only person ever in Gloucester Royal Infirmary with a nutmeg overdose. Uh, that's, that's, that's my party piece, basically. Uh, that's all I've got. I'm going to go home now. Um, so, yeah, so, uh, but then when I found the Spirit, when the Spirit came, when I experienced the presence of God, that I thought, this is it. And when I eventually did go to art college, I, I did try proper drugs. I managed to get they very, very easily obtained in art college. Uh, but even the proper, even the real deal didn't do what I thought it was going to do. It didn't get me anywhere near God or any kind of mystical experience. Uh, it was just a complete disappointment. But thankfully, uh, a lapsed Pentecostal Christian who... Uh, I hadn't realized he was even a Christian, uh, was there to tell me about Jesus, and we just kept on talking about Jesus. And every time we talked about Jesus, I could feel the presence of Jesus in the room, just in the bar, just, we, just in the art college bar. We, night after night, we're talking about Jesus. I, he was the third person at the table. It was incredible. I never, and I don't even know how I knew it was Jesus, um, but it was just amazing. And I've never looked back since. That was 1988. Um, I'll leave you to guess how old I must be. I know you'll be suitably shocked. Um, so uh, the, the promise is for you. It's for you. It's for me. It's for Jeremiah Lanfear. It's for James McQuilkin. These people who history hasn't remembered. They're not remembered for what they did. It's, it's vanished in, in, into uh, the eons of history. Okay. The third thing I want to notice from this passage is... The promise is of power. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power. Until you are clothed with power from on high. Uh, and I think that's the, that's the key. That's what we all want, isn't it? Um, there are these remarkable accounts in the Old Testament, aren't there, of the Spirit coming upon the, the, the Hebrew describes the spirit rushing upon people. Uh, Saul, for instance, he, the, the spirit rushes upon him, and he's turned into another man, isn't he? He's turned into another man. Some of you are thinking, I wish that would happen to my husband. He was turned into another man. It's remarkable, isn't it? He, he, he suddenly is lying there prophesying uh, just from having come into contact with the school of prophets or you think of Gideon, who thought of himself as just the lowest of the low. I'm the lowest in my clan, and, and uh, my tribe is the lowest in Israel. But it says that the Spirit clothed himself with Gideon, clothed himself with humble Gideon. And, uh, and that's what he does. Uh, and the difference is palpable. Uh, John Wesley, before he received the Spirit, before he got really filled, his preaching was described as being like the firing of an arrow. It's very effective. It's very good. But after the Spirit came, after the power came, it was like he was firing a rifle. He had all the power with just a tiny finger touch to let it off. It was an effortless power that flowed through John Wesley's preaching that had, again, the most remarkable results. If you know anything about the 18th century uh, Wesleyan revival, by the time you get to the end of the 18th century, 
one in every 30 English people is a Methodist. Can you believe that? One in every 30 has become a Methodist. Right? Even just after, what, 60 years of, uh, of Methodism, uh, one in 30. And one in five of those was actively involved in ministry leadership, often from backgrounds of extreme poverty. Um, so a remarkable achievement. Uh, but it wasn't Wesley's achievement. It was the power. It was the power. Uh, I actually couldn't even read, uh, not fluently, until the age of 12. Uh, and yet now, I, uh, thanks, to, thanks to what God has done, I pretty much read and write for a living. Uh, I couldn't speak publicly. I, I was painfully shy as a child. I wouldn't talk to anybody until at the age of 22, uh, when I'd only been a Christian for like three years or so, God uh, anointed me. God did something. I'd been asked to lead a, a small sort of Bible study thing in, in our youth group. And on every previous occasion when I'd been asked, I used to keep my notes there and just read, read from my notes. So I was absolutely terrified of all those faces. But then this one occasion, I'd been praying all through the day. On, this, on one occasion, uh, suddenly uh, there was a fluidity. Suddenly, I just suddenly found that I could flow. And there was a word of knowledge that I had for someone and stuff like that. Uh, God can do the most amazing things. There's nothing about what I do today that's natural. Nothing about it is natural, actually, when I think about it. Uh, and the more I think about it, the more, uh, the more freakish it is, actually, that I'm even doing this today. Um, but, uh, so let me just whet your appetite a little bit more with another account. This is Charles Finney, uh, his, his experience of the power he was uh, training to be a lawyer, and then he, uh, through, his, through his studying, he uh, saw how much the law of Moses was used in, the, in his law books, and so he was really curious, and he began to just really want to desire, he really began to desire God. And he felt one day that God was saying to him, will you accept it now, today? And so he went out into the woods and did his business with God. He knelt there. And, and prayed, and then he went back to his office, and then he describes what happens. The Holy Spirit descended upon me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love, for I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God I can recall distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. Wow, I just thought I'd say that. I just thought I'd read that just to whet your appetite, really. It's just the most remarkable description. And he went on to become the most remarkable preacher. Everywhere he preached, revival broke out. The whole of New York State was known as the burnt-over district because the fires of revival had been there so many times that almost everyone had been affected. And uh, Finney, uh, he converted about half a million people in his life. So uh, it's amazing what the Spirit can do. Okay. So we've got the, the, the promise. The promise is a promise. Uh, the promise is for you and it's for me. The promise is of power and it turns us into something that we weren't naturally. So what of this command though? So to stay. Stay in the city. 
until you are clothed. Stay. I wonder what that means for us. This is what I've been pondering while I've been preparing for this. The, the Greek word is kathidzo, which simply means sit down or sit still. Uh, from that, we get the, uh, the word cathedral, which is a bishop's seat. It, it carries the idea of to be seated. Cathedra, cathedzo. What does that really mean? Well, the wider meaning can be that you just remain, that you, that you stay where you are. It can have a military meaning, that you encamp in a particular place. Uh, and I was struggling and thinking, well, what does this mean for the rock church? What does it mean for them to stay? And I don't think I've got something for the whole church, but I, th I think I've got certain messages for particular ones among you. And I think uh, the first place I'm going to go, actually, is uh, Luke 1, um, verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. I think for some of you, um, you have conceived something. The Holy Spirit has conceived something in you, a new vision for a new ministry. I don't know what it is, so, some new vision, you, some, something you want to do. And so for you, to stay means that you wait until it's come to full term. Don't try and bring it to birth prematurely. Just hang on in there. Let it grow and grow. Keep feeding it, let it grow let it grow and grow and grow until you're at full term. Wait until you're at full term and you will know. You will know when you're at full term and you will birth something. And it will be a blessing for the whole kingdom. <clears throat> the second thing is uh, 1, one Chron Chronicles 19.5. I know it's a bit, of, a bit of an obscure place to go, but I'll go there. It's the story of... David sending his servants to console the king of the Ammonites uh, who had been bereaved. Now after this, Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, died. Sorry, the king himself had died. And his son reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal kindly with Hanan, the son of Nahash, for his father dealt kindly with me. So David sent messengers to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came to the land of the Ammonites to Hanan, to console him, but the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanan, do you, do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he is honoring your father? Have not his servants come to search and to overthrow and to spy out the land? So Hanan took David's servants and shaved them and cut off their garments in the middle at the hips and sent them away, and they departed. When David was told concerning the men, he sent messengers to them, for the men were greatly ashamed and the king said, remain at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. For some of you here, um, you have experienced something really catastrophic, actually, in your life. There has been a, a really humiliating moment, a bit like those men who had their uh, robes cut off and their beards shaved off. And it, you, you've You've endured years and years of what feels like utter ruin. You put a brave face on it, but what you originally had in mind has been ruined. Something has been ruined. And God says he's going to restore to you the years the locust has eaten. 
but you need to, for you to remain and to wait and to stay means that you wait for God to do that restoring work. Metaphorically, you wait for your beard to grow back. You, you're waiting for God to, uh, you probably don't have a beard, but uh, you're waiting for God to, to, to do that. Okay. So what's my concluding thought? Well, I think one of my... I know I'm going over. I'm sorry about that. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I remember that the, the nearest I've ever experienced to an actual revival was back in 1994. And I'll finish with this. Um, in the January of that year, in the January of 1994, in the church we were at, we'd been praying um, the prayer of Spurgeon that he would send us a season of glorious disorder. I'll read, I'll read out the full prayer in a minute because I think it's a fantastic prayer. Um, so we kept on praying that as a church. And then, of course, in June that year, I don't know if anyone was, is, sort of, was around then to remember the Toronto blessing. The Toronto blessing swept through all the churches and, I, and it was on Father's Day. In June 1994, the Spirit came to our church and... Uh, there was a, a lot of the manifestations, as we know, a lot of the manifestations, as is always the case in revivals, a lot of the manifestations were questionable. And actually, even in a church like the one I was at, which was hyper-charismatic, an awful lot of people left. They walked out in disgust and never came back. Uh, I, I got completely into it. It was another one of those occasions where I was turned into another man. I, about three, we, 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 cleared the sh we cleared the schedule, we cleared the whole schedule. This is the important thing. We've got to be ready to clear everything away, clear it. And we just had night after night after night for about three months of just receiving the Spirit. And every night I was laughing and laughing. People were going home drunk on the Spirit. They, they, they were getting pulled over by the police and breathalyzed. Uh, <laughs> And I was, I was like the laughing policeman every night. And I tell you, after three months of laughing every night, you're never the same again. Uh, it was just incredible. It changed my whole personality, I have to say. It really did. Um, but that was God sending us a season of glorious disorder. And the thing I look back on with fondness is our readiness to, to just sweep everything aside to make room the Spirit. Oh God, send us the Holy Ghost, says Spurgeon. Give us both the breath of spiritual life and the fire of unconquerable zeal. Oh thou who art our God, answer us both by wind and fire, and then we shall see thee to be God indeed. The kingdom comes not, and the work is flagging. Oh that thou would send the wind and the fire. Thou wilt do this when we are all of one accord, all believing, all expecting, all prepared by prayer. Lord, bring us to this waiting state. God, send us a season of glorious disorder. Oh, for a sweep of the wind that will set the seas in motion and make our iron-clad brethren now lying so quietly at anchor to roll from stern to stern. Oh, for the fire to fall again fire which shall affect the most stolid. Oh, that such fire might sit upon the disciples and then fall all around. Oh God, thou art ready to work with us today, and even as thou didst then, stay not, we beseech thee, but work at once. Break down every barrier that hinders the incoming of thy might. Give us both hearts of flame and tongues of fire to preach thy reconciling word for Jesus' sake. Father God, 
I call upon you to send the promised Holy Spirit. We avail ourselves of your spirit. We say that we will not stand in his way. We invite you to send us a season of glorious disorder. We invite you to send the fire of the Holy Ghost. We invite you to make your spirit so fall upon us that there's an overflow to the region around. We invite you to touch this nation as never before. We call upon you to not forget this land and to be gracious once again and to send showers of blessing once again upon this great nation. In Jesus' name, amen.